Cinema Fart Cinemas. Cine lit. So, uh, number five. Uh, <clears throat> so I think this decade there's been a lot of talk that uh, film has been dumbed down. The, the industry has been dumbed down in the mainstream for children and for adults who are children. And I think um, it's really important to uh, kind of look at the films that aren't actually kind of reflective of uh, the juven- juvenility of, of today's moviegoers. Um, so I think a really good one that, uh, that I, I feel reflects this really well, or actually is one that is tragically overlooked, is Alvin the Chipmunk's The Road Chip from 2015. Uh, now this film, as I said before, is tragically overlooked. Uh, it was released on the same day as Star Wars Episode Seven. So now obviously this is a far superior film to Star Wars Seven. But unfortunately, um, because Star Wars Seven was such a kind of cultural phenomenon in its own right, this movie, The Road Chip, was it didn't flop, but it didn't do as well as they'd hoped. So this was the fourth, you know, perhaps final episode in the Alvin and the Chipmunks cycle, uh, started in two thousand and seven. And unlike the first three films in the Alvin and the Chipmunks cycle, this is an original story as opposed to an adaptation of the episodes of the 1980s TV series. So we're already getting fresh new originality injected into this already powerful franchise. So instead of it being adaptation of previous material, it's it's an actual full-on original piece of work. So there's lots of clever wordplay even just from the poster alone. So you know from the poster alone that this is an important film. Uh, So the, the title is The Road Chip instead of The Road Trip. And this is because they're chipmunks, so it's just kind of it's a clever little tie-in. And um, the tagline in the film is "Fast and Furious," because like it's a subtle homage to the Fast and the Furious films. It riffs on the fact that chipmunks, in fact, have fur. So fast and furious because they've got fur on their bodies. Yeah, Alvin, Simon, and Theodore—they've all got—they've all got fur because they're because they're chipmunks. Right. So um, I guess it's it's a little bit more. Um, a little bit more hybrid than I can think what you're what you're kind of conditioned to expect. Absolutely. Um, um, so I think a really good one that uh, that I I feel reflects this really well, or actually is one that is tragically overlooked, is Alvin and the Chipmunks: The Road Chip. <laughs> okay, well done. So I think this this film has groundbreaking special effects. Uh, well choreographed action and it's visually beautiful like the animation on those chipmunks is so crisp and well realized it's um it's a little bit like if um the planet of the Ape, the new planet of the apes movies had been done properly because uh, because in that in those movies the apes look terrible they don't look like mm. apes at all whereas in this film you know these chipmunks are fully realized cgi chipmunks you you wouldn't have thought they weren't chipmunks they're mm. so well ingratiated into the scenery of the film this film is John Waters' references, and uh, even as a cameo from John Waters himself. And so this is a powerful, forceful film, a meditation on the family unit and dealing with the fact that your father is a flawed individual, like everyone else. So I want to be clear that this film is not actually for kids. You know, I know, I know you may think, oh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, the road chip, that, you know, that sounds like it appeals to kids. This film is only on the surface a kid's film. Right. Uh, okay. Kids won't understand this film. They, they will not. You know, it's it's not something that they're going to particularly enjoy. I don't think. You know, let the kids and the and the man kids go and see Star Wars and and waste their minds on that. You know, I think focus on something like the road chip. You know, John Waters references in there. It's a powerful, powerful piece of cinema, and it actually thus far is John Waters' last kind of involvement in a in a movie. Hmm. So um, I think this is a very important piece of cinema for this uh, for this decade, especially as as regards to. Um, 
the juvenilization of cinema and and how we often take for granted that there are films that are for the thinking man. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. No, you couldn't have. No. So, yeah, am I, am I on number four or three or uh, one? Will I say? What will on. I say? So we've got, we've got... I think four, three... How two, many have you got left? Two. Two, so four. I've got one, so that's three, four. So you're... <laughs> you're four. Four? Yeah. Yeah, my num- my number four on the list is if uh, you know I can't I'm having trouble you know just even formulating my thoughts about this amazing film. You know, it's called Left Behind, starring Nicolas Cage. Mm. And Nicolas Cage is one of those actors that you know, quite often when you see him enter the scene, you just you, you all I I always feel like I want to see his name come up even though the credits are over. Yeah. I want I want his name to accompany his presence every time he comes on the screen, and just for it to be in flames like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Nicholas Cage. I think it would add to a lot of the drama of, of yeah. the films that he's involved in. This film uh, is just it sums that feeling up. You know, I feel like his name should just come on the screen every five minutes, just to remind you that it's a Nicholas Cage movie. Mm. Uh, and it's a film about uh, what happens when the rapture takes place. While you know, you see it from the perspective of people on a plane. Nicholas Cage is a pilot. His daughter's down on the ground, so it kind of plays the kind of the dual timeline, uh, the dual story of like this rapture's happened. What's happening in the plane with Nicholas Cage? What's happening with his daughter down so on the, the ground? The father in the air and the daughter on earth. Daughter on earth. Yeah, it's powerful um, symbolism. Yeah. The ra- see the rapture happens. You know, people just like some people disappear. Their clothes just boom, and it's like there's no one in those clothes. It's like you're patting the clothes. Like where did you go? You know. I would think, you know, let's have a party. You know, I'm, I'm down on earth. I've been, like, left here. I've been left behind. One thing that, you know, I, I just, it never occurred to me that when people are raptured, that'll involve, like, cars without pa- uh, drivers in them. Like, mm. you turn around, there's a fucking car coming towards you with no one driving it, you know? Mm. And it just, like, crashes through the window and comes towards you. Yeah, like a Tesla. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, like, that would not be good. You know, that would be very bad, in fact. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to have much of a party... You know, because there'd be so much, like, terrible stuff happening. Wanton because, destruction. You know, because other people have been raptured and you've not. You know, I wouldn't care about the rapture thing, but the, the cars coming towards me, that would be disturbing. It definitely would, for sure, yeah. You know? And I mean, like, obviously we go into the fact of why people haven't been raptured. Nicholas Cage is, like, unfaithful. His wife is played by Leah Thompson uh, from the Back to the Future series. Um, uh, a return to form for her, then. Yeah, a return to form, indeed. Long-awaited. And uh, yeah, so uh, she's found God again. She's she's been telling people about the rapture. She wants people to be prepared. You know, when hurricanes happen, this is the will of God. This sort of thing. It's mm. created a rift in the family. The daughter talks to Nicholas Cage about it, like, oh, you know, what's going on with mom? And Nicholas Cage is like, you know, you have to let your mom be your mom. But he, you know, all the while that he's essentially defending uh, his wife to his daughter. He's the one that's going on a plane to try and get off with some, what do you call them? Ah, the so is, that, is this the twist of the film? The he's, stewardess, uh-huh. he's hub, he wants to take her to a U2 concert when they get to London on the plane. They're going to get off the plane. That's and a, go sinf- on, a sinful act. And they're going to go and see U2, which, I mean, it, it puts the thought in your head, when they have U2 been raptured, or did they get left behind as did, well? Did Bono get left behind? Yeah, because I mean, Bono has done a lot to help, to help people. Yeah, but that could all just be like celebrity shit, couldn't it? You might be a terrible person, mm. you know. I I don't I I think that's probably a, a 
quite a far stretch though Simon yeah. well I don't know I just kind of feel like if, if there's one thing this film needs a sequel where we find out if that U2 concert actually happened perhaps and the sequel would, would just follow U2 or, or perhaps they're just known as U because half of the members are gone I mean when the, the, obviously they have to turn the plane around in the film and I'm thinking ah, you know this burning question in the back of my mind like did, did the U2 concert happen post rapture Mm. You know, uh, I just kind of feel like that's a great thing for a film to leave you with that thought suspended in your head. Mm. It's opened up for a sequel. I don't want to, you know, like suggest what people do with their careers, but I would like to see a sequel personally. If Nicolas Cage could only work on films that are in this universe from now onwards, I think it would actually be a gift to art. It would be a gift to to both um, Mm. culture and, and the popular art of cinema, you know. You know, I mean, imagine if... The sequel starts with Nicolas Cage. He's learned a lot about family values. He's learned a lot about not cheating on his wife. Mm. If he was to then be the person that relays this message to you too, because they don't know anything about this. And he teaches you too. He teaches you too about good family values in the sequel. That would be be an amazing thing. And I personally, like this is obviously chiming with an earlier, uh, what what did I say about uh, stuck in love with family values as well. You know, obviously family values in films is really important to me because because I don't have a family. Mm. You know, I'm glad to see that the world values something that I don't have. Mm, Exactly. I think by watching families on screen, you can feel like you are part of it's the only way I can feel like I'm part of a family because I don't have one. By watching Nicolas Cage in the Rapture. Yeah. Finding out, learning about family through movies. It's basically, it's my, that's my hobby, you know. That's, instead of going on Facebook sometimes, you know, I do go on Facebook, but when I don't go on Facebook, I learn about family from films. Hmm. So I'm going to choose for number three. Uh, it's a controversial choice. Uh, and I think I know that there's been a large omission of uh, of Marvel films from this list, and quite rightly, Marvel films have shaped the landscape of both art and commercial cinema. So, to choose the Amazing Spider-Man Two is uh, perhaps a little bit uh, controversial, as this film is understandably somewhat divisive. Uh, but I think it is a p- powerfully misunderstood piece of progressive, medium-defining cinema. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 really blazed the way for films like The Winter Soldier, which was a powerful political thriller, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was, again, a very, very powerful piece that that proved that women can be heroes too. And I think this really allowed uh, DC uh, to uh, flex its muscles with, with films like The Joker and Suicide Squad. This film, from the off, has the boldness, uh, you know, the artistic boldness to put The Amazing in its title, so it probably sets up some expectations that um, that were not met, which is perhaps why the film is so divisive. I think had Amazing not been in the title, this film would have been loved. But because it's such a bold and unique and innovative statement to put the Amazing in the title of your film, uh, I, th- I think it's, it's something that needs to be recognised. And that's why this isn't number three in the list. Because, you know, imagine something like the Amazing, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, or the Amazing, the greatest showman or The Amazing Schindler's List, these films have, have instantly become more intriguing to watch uh, just by, you know, the use of the word amazing. The Amazing Dark Knight, you know? Mm-hmm. The Amazing Art Cinema, Fart Cinema, which may, may actually be... We've been discussing this title change recently, so I think to use The Amazing is a perfect way of uh, putting your message across that, that extends far beyond marketing, you know? 
I think this is one of it's one of cinema's greatest crimes that we will not get the third installment in this series, uh, because it's a perfect blend of eighty percent CGI and twenty percent actual camera shots. And I think the fact that they let the story take an absolute backseat to to the kind of CGI fighting and the CGI battles and the CGI flying scenes and the CGI buildings and the CGI sky shots and the CGI music and the CGI emotion and the CGI death and the CGI destruction. I think it's a seriously technically advanced piece of piece of filmmaking, you know. To, to include this much CGI is seriously important in a film and I think it very much sums up the CGI of current filmmaking. The de this decade can be defined as the CGI decade. Yeah, is 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 perfectly summed up in this film, The Amazing Spider-Man, which of course came out in the middle of the decade. So it kind of perfectly acts as a waypoint to this means of uh, of of cinema. Emma Stone is obviously in this film. She turns in an absolutely stunning performance. You know, I think it's probably the best of her career. Uh, you know, in a career that's that's full of serious highlights. Um, and her death scene in this film was actually done practically. Ah. Her death scene uh, in this film, in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, was actually done entirely for real. Number three. Number two. Number two. Number two. Hold on, actually. Yeah, it's number two. Number two on my list. So obviously we're getting to really good films now because it's number two. You know, mm. it's near the end of, of our... You know, this is an amazing film. Me Before You, starring Amelia Clark. What a film. You Fresh know. off of the Game of Thrones... Uh, Success. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this is nothing like. I mean, Game of Thrones is nothing compared to the you know powerful height of this film. I quite agree. You know, um, so this is a film where uh, Amelia Clark struggling for money. She takes a job as a additional helper, not a main helper. There's kind of a main helper that's qualified, and she's just kind of brought in to be an extra helper with this uh, really wealthy young man who's wheelchair bound after a, being hit by a car. And he's paralysed mostly from the neck down, you know, just that he can't even move his, his hands very well. Really heart-wrenching stuff, but they learn from each other. It's one of those things where two people have got to... She's got to learn things, and he's got to learn things. And as an audience, you learn... You know, some of the surprising stuff you learn, it's, it's amazing what you can learn from... It's revealing. Watching, from watching these two people going at it. It's amazing what you learn. You know, I mean, one of the lessons that, that the, the wheelchair-bound character bestows upon Amelia Clark's character is that subtitled films are good, you know? Mm. They're not boring just because the words come up at the bottom of the screen. Sometimes they're good. Because yeah. if you think about it, reading and... You're watching a film and reading at the same time, so you've got the power of a book and the power of a film at the same time. Exactly. And if you were to listen to music at the same time, you've got three mediums. Well, you will be because the film will have soundtrack, so you've got three things going on at the same time with yeah. the subtitled movie. So it you broadens know, the mind, this film. You know, and I mean, the thing is, is that I know from my own experience that you can't always just tell someone or make someone watch a subtitled film and that's going to change their mind. Mm. You know, but in this movie, it's so convincing that you almost believe for a moment that you, you can't actually change someone's mind just by telling them to sit down and watch Das Boot or whatever, you know. So this guy, Amelia Clark manages to change him and warm his heart. She's, he's, you know, she's essentially been hired unofficially as a heart warmer. And mm. she overhears uh, the, the, the parents, Charles Dance plays his father. You know, she overhears the, the fact that uh, they've basically tried to give this guy 
and a boost in his life by hiring the pretty maid or whatever, by hiring the pretty waitress. You know, mm. so she's basically just there to warm his heart while someone else actually does the hard work of looking after him medically. She just gets to do the yeah. fun stuff. Yeah, exactly, yeah. She even makes a... Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically, let's make a list of things that he might like and give this a try, let's give that a try, you know. I mean, he learns something too, as well, you know. I mean, he starts off as, you know, a character that does like a really bad impersonation of Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot. He thinks that's funny. By the end of it, he's probably changed his mind about that too. Hopefully he does a better impersonation of Daniel Day-Lewis, you know. As we were saying, you know, about soundtracks, this one's full of the kind of upbeat sort of pop bangers that always bring the house down whenever someone sings them on, like, say, X Factor. Mm. I mean, if it wins on X Factor, it's going to win on a soundtrack. And they've, select, they've selected... It's like, you know, you can almost hear Simon Cowell going, excellent song choice. I think if it's, if it's in the top ten charts, like, you know it's instantly going to be a good song, and that ought to then be in a film, I think. Exactly. Well, it's what it worked. It's it worked, and it's at number two, and I can't be happier for Amelia Clark that uh, her film career has gone so well from strength to strength. It seems strength to strength. I mean, Game of Thrones. You know, I mean, I almost wouldn't even mention that now no. next to this film. Yeah, I think I, it, one last thing to note on this film is I would definitely bring a handkerchief because I'm just going to say it, you're going to be leaking from your orifices when you're watching this film. You know, uh, if if you know what I mean, just yeah. You're going to need something to catch that residue. And now, uh, we're on to number one. Uh, number one of this decade, I think, is a film that uh, perfectly sums up the discourse and culture surrounding film this decade, as well as the kind of large strides that we have made in this industry, uh, both as an art form just and as people as our, in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let Simon uh, tell you what our top film of the entire decade is it's um it's a 2016 film that we feel has really done the best to reflect the cultural and political discourse around film this decade i think it was a movie that was on everyone's lips and for good reason because of its sheer quality i think it had such a powerful message in it and the use of cgi as well as the use of actors that we know and love as well as old actors that we know and love, it bridges uh, generational divides, this film. Uh, It really does sum up how film has been, uh, both mainstream and art film, has been in this decade. It's a film from 2016, and we're really proud to tell you that it's... Number one is Ghostbusters. From 2016. He starts off, you know, doing a really bad impersonation of Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot as a joke. You know, he thinks that's funny. mentions for films uh-huh, that okay. haven't been uh, in our list. Okay? They're not in our list, okay, but you like them. List. Yeah. So I think honourable mentions uh, can obviously go to something like Joker, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Joker. Really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's coming next. <laughs> so, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, obviously One, a wonderful. seriously important film. Rami Malek. Uh, Chef. <laughs> Taken to. <laughs> TV show with Lenny. <laughs> what was his name? Lenny Henry or something. <laughs> we might need to just start this again. So. <laughs> no, <it's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what Chef's about. Chef is not on my list. It's just a normal match. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? This is a serious list. <laughs> right. La La Land is there. Uh, the Hurt Locker. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. She's <laughs> a very strong person. Um, uh, Shark Tale. Yeah. Blackfish. Finding Dory. Red Dead Redemption, the movie. The Grand Telephone Book. She's Got Telekinesis. Kings of the Keys. The Console. Ghost Universe, the sequel to Ghost World. It was actually more of a reboot. Um, yeah, yeah. The Sea in My Heart. Wonderful. The AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> the AIDS. It's called the AIDS. The AIDS. The like, AIDS. Like, AIDS. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> people who help people. Yeah, okay. Like the AIDS. <laughs> Just bring, bring out the AIDS. Um, the Batsman. <laughs> Uh, let me in, please. Malarial dysentery. <laughs> right. Uh, malarial dysentery. Uh, and the golfer. That's a great one, the golfer. Wonderful. Did you see the golfer? Is it a sequel to Tin Cup with uh, uh, Kevin Costner? Yeah, it is. The golfer, yeah. Starring uh, Brian Cranston and Judy Dench. Right. So if you've not seen the golfer, get it checked out. It's amazing. I think I already said Madagascar, Europe, Europe's Most Wanted. I think that's one of the more important films yeah, of the yeah. decade. Clearly, um, clearly, come on. Yeah, so... Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> so, I think... You know what I'll do, actually? Hold on. I'll... It's a fucking show podcast. We watch fucking shit films. It's a fucking shit podcast. We watch fucking shit films. It's a fucking shit podcast.